Welcome to the Talking Tall Rounds series, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, old devices, new problems, and we're going to talk about managing complicated arterial access, which uh, all of us, all departments in our HVI are intimately involved with. Um, you know, the, the real issue is getting these large uh, devices or, or uh, things that look like them into these arteries, uh, usually the femoral or the axillary or brachial, and of course, smaller access in uh, radial or pedal arteries. And the reason why this is a problem is traditionally complications in certain areas can go up to actually 10%, and these can be uh, quite devastating. You can see the nerves that are in the, that are in this area. So it's not just a problem of ischemia or of arterial injury, but sometimes nerve injury. And those complication rates have gone down in small access, but they still continue to be somewhat of a problem with large access and including in a lot of the patients we see, which are done uh, emergently and under um, not optimal situations. So just to give a sense of sizing of some of these devices, and they're in, in French size, and this is based on uh, pi or 3.14, and the area square uh, is, under, is under here. So if you think about a, a, about a five or a six millimeter femoral artery, which is a little bit on the, the smaller side, but not uncommon in a lot of our patients, and we're also talking about an artery here that's not even diseased. You can see how a, a seven French sheath leaves a decent amount of area, but a 12 French sheath is almost consuming that entire uh, uh, diameter and area of that vessel. So um, just something to think about as we uh, continue on. So today I'm going to give a short little talk about the femoral axis for ECMO and uh, no disclosures. Now, whenever we talk about ECMO or whenever I get a consult for ECMO, the first thing I think about is, does this patient actually need ECMO? Every time I get consulted for an ECMO patient, I think, can we avoid going on ECMO at any cost? If we need it, we need it, but can we avoid doing it? So immediately, what I'm thinking about is not just right now, but also downstream. I wanna talk about the insertion, I wanna think about the complications that may arise and, and whether or not we have an exit strategy to come off of this. And this is all very important at the time you're thinking about putting an ECMO, all right? So you wanna think about patient indications, inclusion, exclusion criteria. What's the underlying diagnosis for the cardiogenic shock? Is there something that you can treat that avoids needing to go on ECMO. Uh, will this patient benefit from ECMO? Can we avoid any complications, taking our time with the insertion? Is it more of an emergency? Uh, are, are there various different other devices that we can use instead? And then also, what are the future implications? Is there an exit strategy to come off of ECMO? This all should be thought about at the time you're thinking about putting in ECMO, okay? So there are two main ways of putting in ECMO, central versus peripheral, and today we're talking about peripheral. There are various different strategies to putting in peripheral uh, ECMO, and as you can see um, uh, on, on the left, uh, you can do FEM-FEM, you can do AXFEM, you can do uh, carotid FEM, There's a, and, and you can get really creative with a number of other ways too. Now, for the purpose of this talk, we're talking about femoral cannulation. There's three main ways we can, we can do femoral cannulation. The first is percutaneous. <clears throat> Now, the benefits, oh, sorry. the benefits of this are it, it can be rapidly done. Um, confirmation in the cath lab under fluoroscopy is very, very helpful. Uh, and, and multiple different people uh, are, are capable of doing this. Um, 
The second one is that direct open. We do this a lot in the, in, in the operating room. And uh, the downsides of this are that with doing this, if you need to stay on ECMO, you now have an open incision that really isn't the easiest thing to close around it and can be quite dirty. The kind of more optimal one, if you are gonna do a, a direct surgical cut down, is to do a tunnel. Um, here you can see on the, the left where the incisions are, are the, well, the uh, incision in the groin is made and the cannulas are tunneled through the skin in a different uh, stab incision separate from the main one. Um, one of the main things I'd like to point out here is that, and we'll talk about this a little later, is that for your reperfusion sheath, this amount of length for the, for the cannula is not necessary and only causes problems. But uh, this is, so understanding how to cannulate the femoral artery, you, under, you have to understand anatomy, okay? The kind of, you know, talking to the group of people in front of me right now uh, about access and gaining access to the femoral artery, uh, the, everybody understands that the sweet zone to kind of cannulate for femoral access is the, the common femoral artery. Uh, prior to the bifurcation, but not above the, the ligament, all right? And so when you're aiming your needle down in, you really wanna make sure that you're not aiming so high that facilitating later removal of it is gonna be a much bigger operation. So when you're thinking about putting it in, keep in mind, how do we get it out? And how can we get it out, especially in obese people or people with bad peripheral vascular disease, how we can make the smallest incision possible to remove that. Preventing complications, um, you know, my preferred method of, of, even in an emergency, is using ultrasound, okay? Getting wires both anagrade and retrograde and also venous prior to inserting any cannula, all right? It's the easiest way to make sure that the, the rest of the procedure won't be uh, filled with complications. We use micropuncture technique, and then after you're cannulated, it's really important, secure your cannulas, okay? Five, six stitches, secure them to the leg, if you've ever seen an ECMO or any kind of cardiopulmonary bypass cannula come out of somebody going full flow, you'll understand why this is so important, okay? So femoral arterial cannulation, especially in an emergency, are landmarks reliable? Well, not really, okay? We know that the bifurcation of the common femoral artery can occur above the inguinal ligament in a lot of cases, and so it's not, you, you can't really go by um, uh, just landmarks. Is there a pulse? Well, maybe, you know, we've all been a part of codes where the only pulse you're getting is doing active CPR and trying to cannulate an artery doing that is quite difficult. Is there color? Well, is it dark blood? Is it bright red blood? Well, during a code, is the patient even oxygenating? So you can't really go by any of this. So when, you're, when you are able to cannulate the artery, okay, you want to ask yourself, well, what does this patient really need? Ask yourself, will this cannula support this patient through this vessel in this clinical situation? All right. So ultimately what you really want is, you wanna choose a cannula that accommodates the calculated full flow cardiac index of about 2.2 to 2.5. Now rarely is this ever needed, and actually a lot of the time it, it, it's detrimental to the patient because you want some blood flow going through the heart. You wanna prevent th uh, LV thrombus. Um, so there are various different types, uh, sizes of cannulas and types as well. Uh, you know, the guys up at Columbia, they tend to use even smaller cannulas down to 15 French, and they seem to have very good results with that, and also very much less uh, limb complications associated with that. Now, if that 15 French can't support a 250-pound person, and you're kind of, you know, handcuffing yourself in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the support that's needed to resuscitate that patient for ECMO. So you always should be thinking about how much flow does this patient really need. For femoral venous cannulation, you want to do careful dilatation, okay? So 
the pick V kits that we use, uh, eight, 12, 16 French dilators, okay? Often the, fe the, the femoral venous cannula that you're putting in is much larger, so there's a big step up. So you wanna do it over a stiff wire, and often the, I think it's the Protec Duo has uh, bigger dilators that you can then use. So if you're having problems getting the, the femoral venous cannula large enough in to, that you need, what you can then do is um, get the dilators from the Protec Duo kit, use those, and uh, dilate up appropriately. You want a 21 to 25 French uh, femoral venous cannula snaked up to the RASVC junction. You really want it high enough that the worst thing you have to do is pull it back. You can't advance it in. So you can always put it higher, or you can always uh, pull it back, but you can't uh, um, uh, advance it further. And so always aim on the higher side. If you don't have fluoroscopy and don't have TEE, which both of those things are our preference, then a, a measure based off the angle of Louis, okay? Take your femoral venous cannula, Go from about here down to where your insertion point is and, and make sure you, you know where that insertion point is and, and thread it up into the uh, what you think might be the RASVC junction. And then it's important to confirm it afterwards, okay? Echo-guided confirmation, all right? So now the dreaded complication of limb ischemia when it comes to femoral access, all right? So really, what, what does this lead to? Well, it leads to compartment syndrome, it leads to fasciotomy, limb amputation, and it's a major risk factor for mortality in ECMO patients. So what, how does limb ischemia really happen? Well, it's really, it's, it's a very multifactorial, very complicated sort of thing. But what you have to understand is, as Chris pointed out earlier, the, the 12 French cannula, including a six millimeter vessel, was something like, what, 50 to 60%? We're putting in, at the smallest, a 15 French cannula for an ECMO. Anything bigger than that, our average is probably anywhere between 16 to 18, all right? You're really occluding that, that vessel. So it's very important to get a distal reperfusion cannula in there. And that's why initially, upon insertion, I put wires anagrade and retrograde at the same time. That way it facilitates getting a distal reperfusion cannula in. How big of a distal perfusion cannula? I like bigger is better. And I like a wire braided cannula, okay? I mean, these are, they're available in the cath lab, actually. I've been kind of jumping down to steal some every once in a while from you guys uh, when we've needed it. But the wire reinforcement, especially in obese patients, helps prevent kinking and place it laterally to the arterial cannula, all right? Uh, especially when patients have panis and things like that, it'll, the, their bellies will kind of flop over and kink the cannula at the skin and all that effort that you put into putting that distal perfusion cannula, once that thing clots off, we've got a real problem. Um, and then how do you do it? Well, you do it under fluoroscopy. Ideally, that, that is the case. We did a case last week where uh, we put the ECMO in and immediately Joe took the patient to the cath lab and under fluoroscopy, put a distal perfusion cannula in and it worked beautifully. If you can't get one in via fluoroscopy ultrasound, do a cut down. And then how do you monitor your limbs? Serial physical exams, is, I found to be the most important um, uh, way of monitoring this. You know, flex every joint distally. Uh, vascular surgery colleagues know this better than uh, most of us, but the Doppler signals, the oximetry, they, they tend to not be reliable. Even the lab values, they tend not to be reliable. So it's really that serial exam monitoring that's gonna help you salvage a limb and get to it early and, and help save that limb. So here's the good. We have separate arterial and venous on both sides, okay? Or sorry, on, on, on an arterial on one side, a venous on another. We have a short uh, extra um, uh, bypass circuit to the distal reperfusion cannula, okay? Which is right next to the arterial insertion site. This facilitates one incision to remove both later on, all right? I've, I've removed a few um, over the past year or so where I'm making multiple separate incisions. And as you can see here, there's, unless I'm making one big one like this, you know, you got to make multiple incisions. There's, it's just, it's, it's a lot more painful. 
All right. So this isn't as good as, as the previous slide. And obviously the worst case is the ugly. All right. You never want to let it get to this point. Okay. And so serial physical exams, serial monitoring, whenever you're on ECMO is of the utmost importance. And one of the last things I want to say about when you're initiating ECMO, it's very, very important that you don't bring the lines up before you actually uh, are ready to connect up. Now, if the, they're still circulating back there, that circulation of the prime volume is actually warm. Now, if you cut the lines and put them up there and then you're waiting a half an hour, all that prime volume is getting cold. Now you initiate ECMO and you've got a couple hundred cc's of cold saline going right into the heart and you can fibrillate the heart. All right, so have pads on ready to go if, if that's the case, but you just understand that. So as Ed pointed out earlier, it's very important for the tailored shock strategy. Anytime there's an ECMO patient that comes in, it's very important that, you know, the, the shock team understands that that patient's there and that we can help in any way possible to kind of get that patient off of ECMO or, or triage any kind of uh, problems that exist while on ECMO. Thank you. I'm going to be talking about kind of vascular surgery's involvement and how we avoid access complications um, anytime we ob obtain uh, arterial access. I'd like to start off with a case. This is a 20-year-old otherwise healthy female that uh, went to an urgent care for shortness of breath. It's diagnosed with the flu, started on Tamiflu, however, had worsening symptoms the next day, uh, ended up requiring to be intubated, had inter increasing ventilatory support, and was subsequently transferred to Toledo for ECMO placement. Was placed on VA ECMO, they placed, uh, did a left femoral cut down, 19 French arterial cannula, 25 French venous cannula, and then an eight French distal reperfusion cannula. The next day, she was transferred to the Cleveland Clinic. However, upon arrival, was noted, noted to have a modeled left leg. There was no flow in the distal perfusion cannula, no signals in the popliteal or pedal uh, arteries. And so she urgently was taken to the operating room with CT surgery and vascular, who converted her to VV ECMO. Um, and we did, performed a left lower extremity angiogram, which noted that the left SFA was occluded after uh, removal of the SFA uh, cannula, um, uh, which was subsequently repaired open. And then there was good flow distally. However, she did uh, require four compartment fasciotomies given the prolonged uh, ischemia time. She was eventually decannulated from the ECMO two weeks later. However, given her prolonged acute limb ischemia, she was deemed to have a non-salvageable limb and unfortunately required a left above the knee amputation. So vascular complications can be very severe. Certainly we see them in situations like ECMO where we have large arterial cannulas that are in place. These complications range from the limb ischemia, such as what we just saw, arterial dissections from access, pseudoaneurysms at the site of the access, or retroperitoneal bleeds from high access sites. And the important thing about this is that they affect patients' survival to discharge. There's about a 30% decrease in, their, uh, in survival to discharge when they have vascular access complications. Things that increase the risk of these include large cannulas, female gender usually due to their smaller arteries, young patients, and those with peripheral artery disease, which can complicate arterial access. However, the most, most of these complications occur at the time of cannula placement, and that's why it's so crucial to make sure you have good arterial access at the initial uh, procedure. In order to reduce limb ischemia, particularly in ECMO, distal perfusion uh, catheters should be placed, and then systemic anticoagulation once the catheter is in place. However, this isn't limited to just ECMO. We see it in routine angiography. We see it in our TAVR population. This is a Canadian study where they reviewed their access uh, complications, looking at those specifically and comparing those who underwent angiographic access versus ultrasound-guided access. And what they found is that for patients who underwent ultrasound-guided access, they had a statistically significant reduction in their major arterial bleeding, vascular arterial access complications, and life-threatening complications. 
So how do we reduce the access complications? I think one of the best studies that demonstrates this is the Faust study, which was a ran multi-center randomized controlled trial that compared patients undergoing angiographic guided arterial access versus ultrasound guided arterial access. And when randomized one-to-one, -one, they demonstrated that when you use an ultrasound, you have improved first pass um, arterial access, you have a reduced median time to access, and then you also reduce risk of venipuncture and vascular complications such as hematomas and pseudoaneurysms and retroperitoneal bleeds. The Vascular Surgery Group of New England then uh, kind of looked at this further. They looked at their, all their arterial access for peripheral interventions over a course of several years, which included almost 7,500 cases of femoral artery access, and demonstrated that when comparing ultrasound to angiography or just physical exam, they were able to reduce all their complications, including hematomas, when using ultrasound-guided access. So we've kind of shown a little bit, again, the anatomy of the common femoral artery from the inguinal ligament down to the bifurcation. And our target zone is to try and puncture over the femoral head as this gives us a safe area to compress the artery when we remove our arterial axis to get hemostasis. On ultrasound, this is an example in uh, figure B here of the bifurcation of the superficial femoral artery in profundus. And then in C, you can see this is the common femoral artery. And what it's important to note is that we're able to ultrasound over the length of the common femoral artery and identify areas where there's not anterior plaque um, that might cause issues or dissection when trying to be punctured with uh, a needle. Looking at the top, it's difficult to see the, the inguinal ligament uh, on ultrasound at times, though it can be identified. And physical exam isn't always the best uh, reliability. One thing you can use on ultrasound as a tip is that you can see here is that as the common femoral turning into the external iliac, the artery begins to dive down into the pelvis. And this 3D reconstruction of a CT angiogram demonstrates that as we cross into the pelvic brim and get over that bony prominence, the artery begins to dive and we lose our ability to compress and obtain hemostasis at this level, which is why it's so crucial to be able to access over an area of bony prominence. When we talk about ultrasound guided access, we wanna really target ultrasound guided and not ultrasound localized femoral access. Certainly when you put an ultrasound over the artery, you can see when you put your needle in that there's some deformation of the tissue, but that's ultrasound localization. What we want is ultrasound guided. What this means is that we select the area of where we're gonna place our, our, our needle, hold the ultrasound steady, and then adjust our needle so that we can see the tip of it right over the top of the artery in the 12 o'clock position, and then watch it as it directly punctures into the artery. A good example of this is here seen in this ultrasound image where you can see that we came straight in at the 12 o'clock angle and you can see a hyperechoic density within the artery, which is the tip of the needle, demonstrating that we went through the anterior wall without getting into the posterior wall um, and have healthy access into the vessel. This can then be confirmed if you have access to fluoroscopy, demonstrating access over the femoral head. And you can see here, this is the tip of our needle right over the femoral head, which will allow us to get good compression after. So I think in conclusion, ultrasound-guided access has been demonstrated um, in multiple studies to decrease vascular access site complications. And this holds true even from patients that have young, healthy arteries to those with very challenging anatomy. Fluoroscopic confirmation over bony prominence is crucial as it allows us to get manual compression for hemostasis afterwards. And finally, the use of uh, distal perfusion catheters and VA ECMO can help decrease the risk of acute limb ischemia um, and major vascular complications from that. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Like what you heard? Visit Tall Rounds online at clevelandclinic.org slash tallrounds and subscribe for free access to more education on the go.